nub. He chucked the yum nub. I told me to be chicken. Hello and welcome to Yubcast, your Star Wars cartoon podcast. My name is Matt, and such size, such power. And my name's Jamie, and there's something alive in here. Nice. Yeah. So I went for a quote from the Zilla Beast episode of Clone Wars, um, and you went for the Crash Compactor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the first time that I chose one that didn't have, like, I or me or something in it. But I felt it fit perfectly into this episode. Well, today, before we get into it today, we will be reviewing or going over the episode of Bad Batch from Season 2, Episode 11, entitled Metamorphosis. Um, but before we do anything like that, um, do you want to talk about Star Wars this week? Did you do anything? Um, no, other than oh, uh, watching Mando and watching the finale of Bad Batch. Um um, just as timestamp, it would have, um, this is April 2nd, so it, it was only a few days ago that the last two episodes dropped. And, um, I don't know, I'm just doing a lot of thinking about Star Wars lately, especially because on the end of the episode, I don't want to get too much into it, but wow. Yeah, so we're about a month behind in our recording of Bad Batch, but, uh, we'll catch up quick. But yeah, the season finale happened last week which was a two-parter and then we're sort of in the middle of mando i guess um maybe like just past episode five of mando so i guess we have three episodes left of that um so it's still good star wars coming out um i also haven't done very much stars this week uh at least not media wise i've i started spray painting my battle droid because the weather here is finally spring um still got really cold today and we had a huge windstorm last night but uh but i spray painted the head got the first coat on at least and i'm just gonna work my way through the body this this spring and get it mounted onto like a little roller cart like a little rolling dolly um and get that project done and then i was working i was sort of taking inventory of all of my r2d2 dome like head pieces and i cut out all of the aluminum um, panels for the head, which is something I had been not doing, so I was just being lazy about it. But I, I think I'm going to like get all the head pieces mounted uh, in the next month or so. Oh, awesome! Yeah. So the goals the goals for that project are basically to get them on his wheels and get the head sort of underway, mount the servos and things at least. I'm missing some pieces, and so I was. That's why I was trying to take an inventory today, figure out what pieces I need to order to complete that job. But it should be a fun project now that I have space to do it finally. Cool, right on. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited to see what it looks like. But not not much for me other than I did watch today's episode a couple times due to the notes, and then I watched the Zillow Beast episodes from. The Clone Wars to sort of refresh my memory about what happens in those episodes. And by the way, those episodes are wild. Um, I don't know if you've seen them recently. Um, no, I was planning on watching it today, but then um, went out to um, to Trader Joe's with the wife, and then um, had to make dinner. So I didn't I didn't get much free time to do what I wanted to do. The boy, the we all went to a movie today, not Star Wars related, but we went to go see the Dungeons and Dragons movie, um, Honor Among Thieves. Oh, okay. How was that? It was fine. I'm not a huge Chris Pines fan in general. I think he's fine, but I sort of find I know he's like doing a lot of Star Trek stuff, but I don't really like him as Kirk. But I think he does an okay job. This was a very like roller coaster movie. Just don't think about it too hard, sort of thing. Um, but kids really liked it, and that's sort of the point. Cool. Yeah, we actually went to our first movie in like years. Um, yesterday we um threw out like a school event. Uh, we went. We saw Puss in Boots, which um it was an alright movie. That's the movie in the Shrek universe. Yeah. I haven't seen all the Shrek movies. I I haven't either. I kind of stopped after a while because I was just like, hmm, this is. Just milking it at this point. Yeah. 
I don't know. I'd see. I would go back and watch the Shrek movies. I think, and I would watch Puss in Boots. But I just, it's just not on my radar. If I were to see another movie right now, it'd probably be Sixty Five Million Years or something, or catch up on the John Wicks and go see John Wick Four. Yeah, yeah, oh, me I, too. I did think about you though in the movie today because the uh, the trailers ahead of time had a trailer for a Fast and the Furious movie, uh, uh, The End of the yeah. Road. That's what they say. Because it's like the 10th one now? I think it's 10th, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. (laughs) That thing's going to go on forever. It's going to go on forever. Like, these these characters are invincible. It's it's a very satisfying trailer. I should just watch all these movies at this point, I think. But there's a scene in the trailer where two helicopters fire torpedoes, like spear guns, into a car that Vin Diesel's driving. And so there's basically, like, they've tethered this car he drives off of an overpass with these tethers on him. And because of the speed, and I guess the car gets heavier when it drives off the cliff, it pulls the two helicopters together and they collide and explode. It's it's the diehard problem, right? <laughs> so they, they never, I don't think Fast and the Furious ever had like a, like a realistic grounding in physics or anything. But in the Die Hard movies, for for example, the first one, like John McClane is cutting his feet up walking across broken glass, right? Mm -hmm. And when he's in the tower after the South African terrorists shoot up all the windows, um, and he's in physical pain doing it. There's blood everywhere, and you sort of feel his pain. By the by, the last Die Hard movie, he's jumping a motorcycle through a through a Black Hawk helicopter. as he's like pulling grenade pins with his teeth, um, clutching onto some hapless lower character, saving everybody's life. It's it's like the line was someplace back way back when, and you have to keep ramping up the the action. But with like a franchise with Fast and the Furious, but they've gotten have ten movies and they've already done all the ridiculous things, right? It it gets impossible to ratchet up the tension, but. Anyway, I thought yeah. I thought about you because there's a lot of Vin Diesel lines in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, sure it was. Uh, I'm sure it was great. Unlikely. <laughs> All right, we don't have a lot of banter um, tonight. It's also super late where I am, so should we just move into? We don't, we don't have a bit planned either. Should we just move into the review? Yeah. Okay. So today, I'm going to set it up and do a little cast stuff up front. Um, So today, like I said, we're going over Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 11, Metamorphosis, also known as the Zillow Beast episode. And its original air date was March 1st, 2023. So that was almost exactly a month ago. Um, That's still pretty current for us on average. There's uh, a new actor I'd like to talk about today. Um, I think she was in one previous episode, but um, Keisha Castle-Hughes is the actor playing Emery today, and that's the scientist who sort of sounds like Omega. Um, she's going to be in future episodes of Bad Batch, but um, she's got a big role in this this episode, so I thought we'd talk about her. Um, Keisha got her start at a young age in the movie The Whale Rider in 2002. Do you remember this movie? Um, I know the name. I never saw it. Yeah, so this movie was super popular back in 2002, and she plays the main character, uh, Pykea, and she was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress that year at the age of 14. Wow, that's bananas. Yeah, this was this was a very popular film at the time. I saw it back then. I don't remember it all that well, um, and I didn't have time to rewatch it before this recording. Um, just for trivia, people out there, in 2004, the Oscar for Best Actress went to Charlize Theron for Monster, um, which I have seen that movie as well, and Charlize Theron does some amazing acting in that movie. It's about the serial killer. Um, it's an adaptation of the serial killer story about the woman who would kill her Johns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but between Whale Rider and the Oscars, she appeared in Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, as the Queen of Naboo. There is a very short scene where the new Queen of Naboo meets Padme, 
and that queen is played by a 13-year-old, um, Keisha. So oh, that's she, cool. So she got her start in Star Wars a long, long time ago. Included in the notes a little clip from an archived article on StarWars.com about her. Um, don't have to read it out loud, but but there's stuff about her in Wikipedia. Um, she hasn't done a whole lot of work since then, but she's she has a couple dozen credits. Things that stood out are she was in an episode of Walking Dead. She was a reoccurring character on Roadies, which is a TV show. She was in eight episodes of Game of Thrones as Orbara Sand. I haven't watched Game of Thrones yet, but oh yeah, oh that's cool. Funny, that's that's kind of cool uh, coincidence. Um, that character is one of Oberon Martell's daughter, Oberon Martell being played by the Mandalorian's Pedro Pascal. That's amazing. Thanks. I, I, I know Game of Thrones is something that I watched one episode with my wife like years ago. In like the first episode or the second episode, there's a really graphic rape. Yeah, there's a lot of those. And she just she just basically said, fuck this and turned it off. And I was like, all right, so we're not watching this? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I should go back and watch it because it's culturally important enough. Yeah, it's um, it kind of fizzles out at the end, but you've probably heard that. But yes. it's still there's still uh, it's still really good. I want to I want to understand what's so great about this show and that people liked, and I, and I can get past I can get past violence, but easier than my wife. It's not just sexual violence; it's just all violence, um, unless it's cartoony. Like she really likes bad horror movies, right? And doesn't care if like there's tons of blood and guts in a horror movie, but if it's portrayed as historical or somewhat realistic. It really bothers her. Really? Yeah. So, like, she'll cover her eyes, and, like, when we watched History of Violence, like, she hated that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and things like that. But, mm-hmm. um, all right. So, em- so she plays Emery. Uh, Keisha plays Emery uh, in today's episode, and she, um, that character shows up in just about every episode for the rest of the season. And I predict into the next season, too. We're not going to get into. A spoiler with Emery, but this is sort of where she becomes a going concern. Mm-hmm. Anything about Emery or Keisha? No, no, I don't. I'll save it for yeah. later episodes. All right, and the other person I wanted to highlight up front is a guy named Sabir Prezada. Um, he's the writer of today's episode, and this is his first Star Wars credit. But he has written for Moon Knight and Miss Marvel before, so he is sort of a Marvel alum. He has okay. a few credits. Go ahead. Uh, no, I just said okay. Yeah, he has a few other credits. He wrote for the TV show Roswell, The Crossing, and the show Person of Interest. So it's a lot of TV drama stuff, drama, fantasy, police procedurals, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. When this episode was posted on Disney+, Plus, he went to Instagram, and he said that he hopes to continue his work in animation. And he had a great time working for Lucasfilm, so at least he's publicly saying that he would like to return to Lucasfilm yeah. and do more. I think he did a great job with this episode. Oh, yeah, me too. I, I really hope he's brought back for more Star Wars. Especially was... an episode with, like, like a past, right? Like, mm-hmm. like this is a follow-up um, to an episode that aired, like, 13 years ago, right? So, yeah. All right, so you get started? Sure, go into the uh, review. So the show opens up with a ship dropping out of hyperspace. It's heavily damaged and is listening to the side and smoke's pouring from it. And it's, uh, you can see that it's headed to a planet. This is a very cool scene. I, I, I liked it a lot. Just, it looks like something, something wrecked this thing and it's in, it's in real bad shape. So this, so this, not to, we're not going to do this the entire time, but as far as an establishing shot of a show, um, wonderful perfect in my opinion it's just it's just you know that scene in um is it season seven or season eight of clone wars where the venator comes out of hyperspace after maul fucks it up in the very end where it's crashing on the planet and ahsoka's fighting the 501st oh yeah 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 it just like ships just appear in space in star wars right and it just like pops out and the thing is just a blaze it's just like belching smoke out of every crack in the hole it's like that except this one's even it seems like it's 
worse off because it's not going straight. It's like going sideways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love I love it as establishing shots. Like, oh shit, something terrible has happened. What's going on? So on board, there's a lot of damage. Sparks uh, are shooting out of conduits. Displays are flickering, flickering, and you can hear uh, screams in the background. Um, there's lights are flickering as well. And there's uh, steam and smoke uh, fill the hallways. So it's very horror-esque. Um, just like something something bad happened. Um, so a, um, a commando. Now, are these guys clone commandos? Yes, this is a clone commando, and he's actually a very specific one. Um, he is Scorch. Right, because I thought he... I thought they were all clone commandos, because that brings me to another thing I was, uh, was thinking about earlier, but we'll talk about it later. So a commando is running and carrying a shock staff. He trips and falls. Um, when he gets back up, his shock staff malfunctions. He's definitely scared of something. He's grabbed from above by an unseen something. He screams, and then is silent. So now this is this is a very good uh, like start to the episode. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a basic called it's a horror film called action, right? It's like it's the Hitchcock thing. You don't see the monster, you see people's reactions to the monster, and you're the person you're seeing the reaction to is wearing a helmet, but the body language is this guy's terrified. Yeah, right? he's swinging the staff around. His staff goes out. It's like the it's like the light it's like the light or the flashlight going out. It's like like now you're helpless. You're totally at the mercy of this thing. You have no idea what it is, and he gets literally sucked up into the rafters. So you're like, what the hell is going on? Cut to Lambda-class shuttles approaching the mountain base on Wayland. Now, this is a cool callback. What's a callback? Uh, Wayland. Is the planet's called Wayland. The planet where Tantus is is called Wayland. Is that a callback? Yes. Well, it's not a callback. It's a reference. Wayland-Yutani is the the uh, the company. It's uh, in, in the Alien franchise. Oh, shit. It is. Wow. <laughs> I totally missed that. I, I looked up the name of the planet in the notes and I put it in there because they mentioned it and I was like, what the... Is this the first mention of the planet's name? Yeah, that's wild. So, yeah, so they're escorting a cargo ship that looks similar to the one that was damaged at the beginning of the episode. An Imperial science uh, scientist uh, exits the ship with Dr. Hemlock. Very gr- great name. He's greeted by the base scientist, uh, Skaldar, a woman who seen briefly before. Hemlock goes to see Nalase in her prison cell. They exchange pleasantries. Hemlock asks why she isn't helping the Empire. Nalase says she won't help the Empire after they destroyed Kamino. Hemlock says that her research survived and will serve a higher purpose. He asks her, it, he asks her if she wants to help achieve their, uh, their goals. Nalase says she knows what the Empire wants and she won't help him. And then Hemlock threatens her. This is more setting up. I know people. People are people are speculating what the plot of of all of, of Mandalorian and Bad Batch are going to be. This is all sequel trilogy setup. Yeah, I'm conv- I'm. I was convinced the second um, Pershing took Grogu. That yeah, all of this is just setting up the plot of of the sequel trilogy. Yeah, add that to like the uh, like part part of the way through the second season where they're like in an imperial base and there's tons of bodies in floating in tanks that could very well be like proto snokes yeah this is they're not gonna they might not do it super explicitly but all of this is leading to that yeah to that conclusion can we talk yeah. about hemlock in a second if you're yeah yeah just and then also just like at the end of the first season when they have her when they have nalase brought to to mount tanis um she's greeted by this character and you just realize that this is some sort of like imperial black site, and what do they want with a clone? A cloner. Hmm. Once again, kind of setting up the sequel trilogy. I have to. I have to give them credit. They're doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the sequel trilogy, which I don't mind. But I don't mind. They had their faults, but I like. I like them filling in. Yeah, I don't mind at all either. I think it only strengthens the story. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we we've talked about. Things I didn't like, things we didn't like about the sequel trilogy, and once again, Shadow of the Sith. That book does a ton of heavy lifting. Um, Rise of Kylo Ren comic, ton of heavy lifting, and then all of the Mandalorian and Bad Batch subsequent seasons are going to do a ton of heavy lifting. It's just going to keep getting better. Right. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So Hemlock. 
I was trying to pinpoint who was voicing him because it's a very kind of like methodical, menacing kind of voice. So I didn't talk about him today because I want to talk about the writer, but the person doing him is a guy named Jimmy Simpson, and he hasn't played another um, Star Wars character before. Um, but but him because he plays. Oh, yeah. yes. Did you look him up? Yeah, you know yes. this guy. <laughs> yes, he's one of the um, McPoyles. Yeah, he's exactly that. That was what I was reaching for. Always Sunny. Yeah. Right. So he's he he plays a guy in Always Sunny. We'll talk about his career next episode because I I didn't want to bog down this episode with too much um, background or too much cast, and we see him again. I wanted to highlight um, Keisha because I thought her super young Oscar nomination was fascinating. I remember people being so excited about Whale Runner. But yeah, this guy, Jimmy Jimmy Simpson, um, you you know and love this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's great in um he's great in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's great um in um Westworld as um and he's just been in a ton of other things that I shoot, I don't even I've never even seen. But it's um yeah he's one he's one of those characters that you just like or I'm gonna say not character sorry um he's one of those actors you, that like I'm sure he like did stuff before like it uh, before Sunny but you know, like it seems like most of his um, successes come after Sunny uh, so just seeing seeing like um, a character from Sunny break out and um, get a lot of uh, like get a lot of work I know it's it makes me happy it's like when one like when like a pro wrestler or somebody like Gina Carano makes it big and they're cool. Um, that's I, I, I'm always rooting for people like that. Yeah, I was looking. I'm looking at his thing, and and he uh, once again we can dig down deeper in him. He didn't do a whole lot before Sunny, but he was sort of a that guy. Like he was sort of on the trajectory to be like that guy. He was in a few episodes of 24, a few episodes of NYPD Blue before Sunny. Um, and then he like, like he was stand-up comedian, so he did Late Night with David Letterman. But then when Always Sunny in Philadelphia came up, um, I think he that got him got him on a couple other shows because it looks like he becomes a recurring character on a bunch of other shows. Or, or it was like mid two thousands when he sort of blew up. But this is yeah. one of those that guys now. Like if you don't know the name, you've definitely seen him in something. Just look him up. We'll talk about uh, it more later. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I pulled up as the IMDb, and they're they're showing the McPoyles wearing their um, wearing wearing their um, bathrobes and like their unibrow. So I got to turn that off, or else I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch that and not actually talk about the uh, talk about the show. So, well, I, I do want to talk about Hemlock a little bit. Um, first, his name. Yeah. It's 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 so on the nose. It's Bond villain level of naming. Yeah. But for people who don't know, which I don't, I sometimes don't understand how common cultural references are. Um, hemlock is a poison. Um, it is a plant that is poisonous, uh, and it was the plant that was used to kill Socrates um, when Socrates was executed by the Greek state um, for um, philosophizing wrong. Yeah, and hemlock is that sort of its cultural touchpoint in our in our world is it's a common poison. Um, you can grow hemlock if you're curious. It sort of looks like a carrot. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah. It actually grows wild in the United States. Um, and there are several, there's several hemlock poisonings every year by accident because people think they're carrots um, when they find them in the wild. So don't eat a carrot you find in the wild. Also hemlock, hemlock looks white. You dumb shits. Carrots aren't white. Some carrots can be white, but yeah, don't eat a white carrot you find in in the wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's yeah he's a pretty menacing character, and he, he he's obviously supposed to be somebody of great importance because they because he arrives and like they kind of make a big deal out of it, and he's just like expecting to be treated kind of like as a as a big uh, as a big deal. Yeah, we get a little bit more. We get a little more color on Hemlock in a couple episodes, where we find out a little bit of his backstory. Um, and he's not a good dude. No. I did make sure I did Google Hemlock 
to make sure I was not misspeaking, and it is often mistaken as a wild parsnip or wild carrot. So if you know what a parsnip looks like, you know what a carrot looks like, that's what hemlock looks looks like. Don't eat a plant in the wild, you doorknobs. (laughs) People die all the time from eating these things, so... That's your toxicology for the day. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the science. Uh, we have to we have to talk science at least uh, one thing in every episode now, and so that was the. I squeezed it in. <laughs> yeah, that was your Bill Nye the Science Guy moment. Yeah, so he's not a good dude, and he's got um, yeah, you know, just everything about him just is just kind of like this quiet menace. Um, I do want to say real quick that. We haven't seen Nalase at all this season until this moment. The mm-hmm. last time we saw Nalase's character was, I think, either the last episode or second to last episode of last season. We have no idea what she's doing. And this sort of fills in, this is perfect Star Wars to me. It fills in her gap. And right. her gap is, she's been giving them the middle finger this entire season. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so <clears throat> Hemlock's assistant, Emery, uh, shows up to tell him that transport for, uh, 904 is missing, which I had recently just, I recently had watched the uh, Clone's Conspiracy episode with my son, and um, Slip is actually CT0409. So when I like when I heard this again when I was watching, I was like, that's weird. This is, um, and I know it's probably not, nothing special. It's just kind of weird that using that combination of numbers. I tried to see if 904 meant anything. I didn't spend a ton of time on it, and I didn't find anything immediately, and I was just like, all right, it's just a random number. But that'd be fun if it was not. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It slips 409. I don't know. Does that have anything to do with, like, the product? I don't I don't know. But anyways, okay. So Hemlock uh, asks if there's any other Kaminoans that were taken off Kamino before its destruction. Emery says the Prime Minister... Lo- uh, Lamasu is being held in a prison on Coruscant. Hemlock says to bring him to Mount Tantis, or Tantis, he wants to talk to him personally. So he's got obviously he's got a lot of pull to just just say, "Hey, I want this person," and they'll just go do it. Yeah, I. This is a good establishing moment for him. He's obviously very powerful, or thinks he is. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe he's like the new uh, Rampart. That's good. That's a good pull. Like he's he's obviously the replacement for Rampart since Rampart's hanging from a noose in the town square right now. Yeah. Which is he? I'd be. I wouldn't be surprised if he showed back up. Yeah, we don't we don't have a clue what happened to him. I was just sort of doing the Mussolini thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, so in hyperspace, the Bad Batch are talking with Sid. They're pretty pissed that uh, she left them for dead uh, in the previous episodes, but she's. Uh, She's not uh, apologetic at all. Instead, she tells them about a ship that's crashed, which means that they can salvage. She offers 30%, which is their standard percent, but uh, they protest, and then eventually they settle upon 50%. She sends the information and tells them to not come back without something valuable. Hunter, Hunter suggests that they never come back, and Tex says that that might cause them some more problems. Spoiler, it does. Yeah, so this is I like this back and forth. I know I know you simplified it, but but they they're finally pushing back against Sid and it's one of these things where where we know that Winston from Ghostbusters warned them that Sid is a bad dude and then she left them stranded on the desert planet where the Temple of Doom kids were mining Ipsium um and working for that guy with a robotic hand. And she didn't help them there, and they're they're pissed about that. And now they're finally like, like, well, maybe we won't do it at all, right? Like, like yeah. what exactly do you do here, right? It's like the office space thing. Um, like, what is your role in this team other than keeping our secret? Because the galaxy is a big place. They could just they could just leave. Mm-hmm. They, just, they could just never come back. And I, I'm I'm really glad that we do address this plot in a future episode because. Hunter's obviously at his limit with her, and Tech Tech is just doing the data thing and saying like like maybe we should be smart about this. But there's smart, and then there's like you don't want to be emotional, but there's a there's a time to cut bait. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, Hunter says uh, that the info that Sid gives them is incomplete. It's just a location. 
Wrecker uh, has a nice quip like, 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 oh, incomplete information. There's a surprise. So they have no idea what the ship is or what it was, what was on it. Omega is optimistic that they can salvage something. So the shipwreck is near a village, probably why the crash was reported so quickly. It's down, but otherwise the ship looks pretty good for a wreck. It's uh, mostly intact. Marker asks what kind of ship it is. Hunter doesn't know because there, there are no markings on it saying like, what it is or where it came from. Tech says based on the crash, the crew is dead. Omega, kind of the eternal optimist, uh, isn't sure. And so they enter the ship. So uh, they find it dark and deserted, and the team cautiously explores the ship. Wrecker finds the electrostaff, um, Texi's scratch marks on the wall, and he says something terrible happened here. Hunter says no human could leave those marks. Um, so uh, Tech goes off by himself uh, to the bridge to restore power and communications, and Omega is worried about splitting up, but Tech says it's fine. So this is, there's a couple of things about this first entering the ship. Um, I did find some writing about this episode and and like the the concept art and everything. They said that they intentionally were doing alien. And we're gonna get, get a lot more of that in a little bit. Oh yeah. But but also Wayland being the planet name that the Tantus is on in in this whole scene, it is shot like a horror film. And no one can hear you scream in space sort of stuff. It is wonderful. It is so well done. The other thing is, is the whole line, humans couldn't make those marks. And there's a lot more than humans in this galaxy, dude. <laughs> I don't, I, I saw that and I was like, like, whoa, racist much? You know, because like maybe a Wookiee could have made those marks, right? Or right. maybe maybe some other sentient species could have made those marks. And it's just like, it's such a weird thing to say. I understand that they're, they're walking into a ship that, that they assume is crewed by humans and they're all missing or dead and they see a bunch of scratches on the wall and they're like, ooh, what made those? Not a human. Okay, dude. <laughs> like, cool it. Cool it, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So splitting up. Splitting up is always a bad idea when it comes to a horror movie, but or else the plot would never move forward. So on the bridge, uh, tech is jumpy. Uh, there's a lot of noises on the ship. Um, the rest of the team continues to explore the ship, and they find a lab of some kind. Omega identifies the medical equipment as Kaminoan. Omega says it's their cloning tech, but it's a different configuration that she does not recognize. So uh, I just want to say one thing about like the like the tech, like tech and like like working, and then you like hear something, and he's just like looking over and just kind of getting like jumpy. Like if you've ever played. There's a really good um, survival horror game that I'm sure some of our listeners have played called Dead Space. It's set on a ship where where things have gone like horribly wrong. And there's these creatures like everywhere, and there's just bodies everywhere. Just the whole place is a mess. But the best thing about that, that one of the best things about that makes that game like scary and creepy is the ambient sounds. Um, and I thought they did a good job with like the like with like tech working, and then there's just like something, and it's not. Um, it's like, is it something near, something far? Who knows? Like that that game, Dead Space, did that very good, to where it was like almost paralyzing. I do. Um, I didn't play Dead Space ever. That doesn't shock you, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but I think the sound design, especially before they see the beast, is amazing, right? Because you just hear. They show there's the other there's also camera work in in this tech stuff. I think we get to the tech stuff in a minute, but where you see it from his point of view because he's like scanning through his visor, mm-hmm. and that makes it scarier in some in some sense to me because it's like you see how little he sees. Yeah, and and your point of view is no longer like like a landscape shot of the room with him like tinkering with something in the corner. You're seeing like him scanning the room from his point of view and you can see like the gun in his hand and it's not like he's trembling but it's like this is fucking terrifying because you're seeing nothing of this room and i don't know i just i think it was very good camera work yeah and it's back to alien again right it's Mm -hmm. it's the it's the monitors of the strike team and aliens 
Oh yeah, the uh, like Wrecker has something that's kind of like the the um, like the motion sensor, the like kind of like that, like what Dallas uses at the exactly. first Alien, where they're like it doesn't have it doesn't that the thing that they rigged up only like the map or the map that they have only does like like uh, two dimensions. It doesn't take into account like kind of like I guess like the Y coordinates. So it's just you'd be Z, right? But yeah. Oh well. Okay, sure. Wouldn't it be? It's X, Y, Z, right? Z is up and down. That's what you meant. Well, anyway, doesn't matter. Okay, just, just I guess it can be. Any, it can be any axis, depending on how you tilt it, right? Mm-hmm. He's restoring power momentarily. Tech has some. Uh, here's some clattering. He's jumping. He goes to investigate. A draw, droid falls out of the closet, and it just repeats, "Danger, danger, danger." Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, no, Will Robinson. Danger. Um. Tech asks the droid would attack the ship, but the droid powers off. Um, Hunter finds some uh, more mucus. Um, Hunter says that the room they're in has reinforced walls. Actually, isn't it Wrecker that finds the mucus? Yeah, it's Wrecker that finds the mucus. Wrecker okay. finds the mucus. Yeah, because it's just and this is this is where like it's full like it's total like it, everything from Alien uh, is like um, this is all like alien stuff like where the Marines come in and they find just the goo. Yeah, this is um, this is almost quoting it. This is this is so beautiful, like the way it's shot. And you're right, it was Wrecker, not Hunter. Mistaken there. Yeah. That's my bad. So he says that they, it has reinforced walls, and whatever they're keeping there is still on board. They see something moving in the shadow of the ceiling. Uh, they see see some sort of. Oh wait, no, I, I actually want to go back a little bit on this, okay? Because they they actually see like the mucus dripping down. Um, and then when they look up, this is very much like. Is a combination of scenes I want to say from like the original uh, Alien and maybe some of Aliens, where it's just so so. Um, you've seen Alien, right? Yeah, right, a bunch course. of times. Bunch okay, of times. yeah, and I, I'm assuming most of our listeners have have seen Alien. So um, uh, when uh, after Dallas dies, and then um, I think the character is Brett goes looking for. Uh, Jonesy, he goes into an area, and there's just like chains, and it just kind of like fl- just flashes. It just kind of shows up, and if you're not, and if you, if if you, if what you're looking for, you just it just passes right by the alien. It's just right there, um, um, and then but like in this scene, this just shows the alien slowly kind of like this beast like slowly uncoiling. Kind of very much like, um, like it does in a lot of the alien movies, like where like on the um, on the on the um, escape pod, it's slowly coming out, or the the queen, where she's slowly like stretching, um, like her head out of the mantle, her little like crown mantle piece, whatever you want to call that thing that's on her head. So it's just this is just very much alien, where it's just kind of like uncoiling, and you actually see it. It actually kind of looks kind of like the alien where it's just got like no no discernible features it's just um it's just a big looking like round tubular structure for a head yeah i wanted to there's i can't think of there's a design there's a design um that it reminds me of but i couldn't find it um it's obviously it's influenced by the xenomorph that's good but there's something. There's another, especially the younger or the smaller version of it. It looks like something like like a hell demon or something. I can't remember where it's from, but there's something that's very familiar about that. It's a, it's almost eyeless, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, do you want to keep going? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry to um, distract. I just re- I, I'm a big fan of uh, Alien. No, no, no. So, do that all you want. I just wanted to. Uh, I just didn't want you to stop because of me. So what happens is that it, they they see it munching on some power cables, and then behind them some sort of like like gas tank or oxygen tank falls, and they're kind of like whoa. They look at it, and then they look back and it's gone. But then they look down and it's on the floor, and it's um, and it's just uh, it's the size of like a, at this point it's like the size of a mountain lion, but it looks kind of like a dinosaur with a long tail. Now the power comes back on, and they have the lights on, but the beast is on top of them. And they shoot it, but it has little impact. They tell they tell Tech to get off the ship. Tech says that they thinks that he thinks that they're on a research vessel. 
And so, but the rest, they've already figured that out. They're pursuing the beast. Omega tells Tech it's loose on the ship. The group rounds the corner near some power generators, and um, it's eating the electricity, and it's significantly bigger now. Uh, Wrecker asks if it looks different to anyone else. So it's actually kind of cool. This is the second time that they've dealt with a, a creature that eats power. Um, the first ones were from the um, the first season where they were marooned briefly. It was the man, the the dragon or whatever it was called. Yeah, I, I can't recall the name. Yeah, it's but, good, uh, that's a good callback though. I'd forgotten about that, but yeah, he the the moon dragon or whatever it was called. Um, he ate power, and he tried to eat their flashlights or something. Yeah, but this thing is like it's growing at a massive rate. Very much like the xenomorphs do, like in Aliens, where they're just like these tiny little chest-bursting things, and all of a sudden, they're like grown adults in like no time. Um, that's something I've always been curious about, how the hell that works. But um, in sci-fi, sometimes you just, especially like Star Wars, you just kind of got to go, all right, all right, whatever. Yeah, it's a gimme, right? There's no biological analog to it so mm-hmm. that, I'm, that I'm aware of. So Tech catches up with them, and he's fascinated by the beast. And uh, they try to blast it again, but to no effect. And Tech shoots the uh, energy coils, and the whole area explodes. It blows a hole in the side of the ship, and the beast runs out into the woods towards the village. Hunter says they have to stop it since they're the ones that let it go. Tech says that since probably ate the crew, he doubts it's currently hungry. <laughs> this freaks Omega out. Um, Hunter says that... Uh, to try to access the lab files so they can understand what they're dealing with. Um, Tech and Omega go do that while Brecker and Hunter try to go after the beast. Um, Omega goes because she's uh, she says that she's familiar with Kaminoan Tech. She knows the Kaminoan uh, operating system, so she can find out where find where things are. Yeah, this is this whole since since it ate the crew. I doubt it's hungry. Moment is. Like a moment of like awkward tech comedy, where he's unintentionally funny. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But it's it's a it's a funny moment because I think Omega repeats it two or three times. They he ate the crew. It ate <laughs> the crew. Yeah. And and one of them says like, "I don't think you're helping tech." And he's like, yeah. "What?" Actually, if I think about it, like when they first see it, it's actually finishing off eating somebody. It's eating some guy's arm. Is it? Yeah. I missed that. Yeah, it wasn't a conduit. It was like maybe part of a conduit and or like a staff, electro staff or something, and like the guy's armor. But I remember it being a, an arm. But okay, so. Um, but at this, at we want to. I do want to establish at this point. We still don't know what the hell this thing is. Like, yeah. If you're watching it. Obviously, now this was a huge thing, huge reveal, and everyone was talking about it on Star Wars Twitter and Star Wars social media. It was a huge thing on Reddit. Um, but at this point in the show, it's escaped. It's headed toward the village. The Bad Batcher in pursuit, trying to figure out what the hell's going on. We don't have a clue what this thing is. And honestly, I I don't know if you avoided spoilers that day. I avoid spoilers on Wednesdays until I get a chance to watch it. I think I texted you later that day and just said, "Oh my God, it's this little beast." What's yeah, up? usually usually I see it right away, so I don't worry too much about it. Um, that may or may not have been an arm. I don't know. It kind of looked like a hand at the end of it. But no, it's actually... Or no, I think it was part of a droid. Oh, you went back and watched? Yeah, he might be yeah. eating the droid. Um, okay, so uh, in the Marauder, Hunter and Wrecker are scanning for the beast. Wrecker is shooting at it from the sky, but he can't hit it. It actually jumps up and grabs onto the ship briefly and then uh, then jumps off. And Hunter says, did you get it? And Hunter's, and Wrecker's kind of like, uh, it got away. <laughs> Um, so on the wreck, the files are encrypted. Omega is trying to figure out what they were doing on the ship. She says the research was not happening on Camino, but off-world. Now, the beast has found the power source for the town and climbed the tower. He again begins to feed on the power. Back of the wreck, Tex also confirms that the species feeds on powers and has plating that protects it from blasters. The energy it eats will cause it to grow quickly. Tech calls Hunter... Uh, they're dealing with the Zillow beast that attacked Coruscant during the war. Um, they, they have to keep it away from the power supply or it will grow exponentially in size. Hunter says too late as a giant Zillow beast is now inside the power station. 
Yeah, this is a daily dollar short, but I love this reveal where it, it shows it shows the importance of their specialization, and it shows how they're all like working together. But this is a wonderful moment where it's like like you got to keep it from eating any more power because it's that Zillow Beast thing that killed all those people in Coruscant, and they're literally flying around a Zillow Beast at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's already happened. It's just a wonderful like little comedic blink moment. Yeah. So uh, Hunter and Wrecker try to stop it when a fleet of um, uh, vendors uh, drop out of hyperspace and in orbit and launch a bunch of ships. Hunter tells Tech and Omega that they have Imperials inbound and to get out of there. Tech doesn't want to leave because he doesn't have all the data, but Omega convinces him to leave and they escape right when the Empire bombs the ship, destroying everything. Now, back to the, the Zillow Beast, Imperial... Uh, L-A-A-T gunships surround the beast and open fire. The, um, a cargo ship comes and blasts the Zilla beast with an energy beam that stuns it and it falls. They blast it a few more times before a huge claw comes down and grabs the unconscious beast. It's like one of those toy toy arcade things that mm-hmm. reaches down and grabs something. So yeah. I just want to talk real quick about this capture of the Zilla beast. Um, the strategy that they use in this episode is the same strategy that Anakin proposes in the Zillow Beast episode in Clone Wars, which is season two, episode 18, if people care. So episode 18 and 19 is the Zillow Beast and the Zillow Beast Strikes Back. Those are the names of the episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, so, that's cool. Yeah, so Anakin proposes this exact strategy of using these this sort of energy weapon, and then they redeploy it here yeah. to, to subdue him. Yeah, and it's um, the thing is it's pretty big. Um, but it's not nearly the size of the Zillow Beast, the original Zillow Beast from the uh, from the Clone Wars, because that thing was like the size of like Godzilla, like yeah, even like call. bigger, right? Yeah, good call. Because he like he was picking up the tanks like two or three at a time and like flinging them, and I think this guy is maybe like a half or a third that size right now. So they do catch him in time to conveniently fit inside the transport ship they sent to pick him up. Mm-hmm. So Brecker says they aren't killing it, they're taking it. Hunter suggests it's a good time to get away, and uh, a shuttle lands at the village and troops disembark. Tex says that they're almost at the landing zone, and the Marauder is being pursued by V-Wings. Omega and Tech get inside and buckle up, and the Marauder is headed into space uh, past the uh, Venators, and they uh, escape into hyperspace. On the new cargo ship, the Zilla Beast is in a tank, it's filled with some sort of liquid, and the beast is in suspended animation, and the ship is commanded with uh, commando clones. So, I, so think, I think Scorch is on this ship because I think I don't think Scorch dies in this episode. I think he's on the ship that picks up the Zillow Beast. Yeah, because he's got like black. Um, yeah, a lot of black on his armor compared to mainly white. So, what so, do you think about what do you think about this tank that they put the Zillow Beast in? Oh, it's cool. I um. Uh, um it's I, I like the I like the design of it though. Somehow it escaped from the from one very similar to it. So um, it's it's very much just like oh, it gets into more of like the and this is very much like the alien back to alien aliens where it's just like they're trying to control something that can't be controlled that it will find a way out and it will destroy everything. Yeah, for me this was sort of the. Um... Transparent aluminum moment, if that makes sense. It's like, oh, it's okay, like this yeah. is this is like the the tank of whales on the bird of prey, but it it also just looks like a giant back to tank. I have no idea. There's no information about what that liquid is that I could find, um, but it's like suspended animation. They're they're trying to freeze it basically to get it back mm-hmm. home. So in the village, all the people are rounded up and put into transports. Um, I assume just because they were witnesses. Who knows where they're going? Well, I guess we know where they're going. Um, but we don't find that out to later episodes. So in hyperspace, Tech is, is describing the ship, saying that it's part of a secret project to clone the Zilla Beast, but the project was started before the Chancellor became Emperor. Tech says the genetic material can be weaponized. Hunter says... Uh, or, <clears throat> sorry, Hunter asked where the ship was going. Tech says there was no destination logged. Tech says the Empire did not destroy Camino to end cloning. They did it so they could control the technology. 
Hunter says to send the data to Echo and Rex, and maybe they can find out some more info. So back at Mount Tantus, Emery tells Hemlock that the creature has been contained. Hemlock asks about the other guest. Hemlock asks if there's any villagers that saw the beast. The commando says there's um, several, and there was one ship that escaped. Hemlock says to find out who that was. And Lamassu gets off the shuttle, and Hemlock greets him. Uh, Lamassu asks why he's here. Hemlock says Nalase is being difficult. Lamassu mocks Hemlock, saying he's too dumb to get the job done, and he will wind up in the cell like the rest of them. Um, Hemlock says Lamassu has uh, misunderstood him. Now is the time to help him motivate Nalase for all their sakes. Lamassu says that she will help in exchange for his freedom. Hemlock says that's fine. Then uh, Lamassu says that Nalase has a special affection for a young female clone that if he wants to control Nalase, Hemlock has to find Omega. The end. Before we get into it, I want to talk about this conversation between Nalase and uh, Hemlock, where Nalase is so cynical at this point, where he's like, he's like, like I need you to, Hemlock said, like, I need you to help me motivate Lamassu, and he's like, you're fucked. <laughs> He's like, you're so screwed. <laughs> He's like, you have no idea how, how fucked you are right now. And Hemlock is still riding high because he's important. Mm-hmm. But important people fall pretty far. Yeah. So <laughs> I just love I love this conversation because Lamas is like, this idiot doesn't have a fucking clue what's going on. He's like, let me out of prison and I'll help you. And, and Hemlock's like, okay, if that's what you want, you can get out of prison. Lamas is like, all right, you got to find this girl. That'll save. That'll solve your problem, without any any responsibility to the problem. It's very easy to propose a solution to a problem where you don't have to see it through. Not that Lamasu is free; he's still a ward of the Empire, no matter what. But I just love how Devil May Care they they make Lamasu at this point. Lamasu's like, "Fuck you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I don't. I, I um, the whole thing. Just like um, them talking about like the Zillow Beast and how it was captured before um, Palpatine was Chancellor, just just goes to show like um, that he was doing like he was up to shady shit long before you know like uh, Order sixty six happened. Yeah, I want to get into that in our discussion a little bit um, because I think there's some interesting stuff happening here. But before we do that, um, I want to get your impressions. What did you think of this episode? Oh, I thought it was great. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want like I'm really just like I want to know what they're using the the Zillow beast for. Like what, like um, that its genetic material can be weaponized. I mean, what does that mean? I, I guess just how it eats power, how it just grows, like its toughness. Yeah. So the thing, the thing in the Zillow beast episodes I watched today that was most fascinating to them was the its outer plating was impervious to weapons, including lightsabers. And it was a super light material. And, and that was sort of like the, the reason why he got interested in it in the first place. Like he, he just wanted it dead Palpatine. He was basically telling him like, like just let the dugs kill it. Cause it was found on Malastare during a battle. And so like the Sebulba species, the dugs, they're, they're like dogs that walk on their hands um, they're the ones that were dealing with it, and and the plot of the episode is they're trying to sign a treaty with Malastare and the Dugs, so they can get fuel, right? And so, the Zilla Beast is a beast from their mythology that basically fucked with their ancestors, and they hunted it to extinction. And a weapons test that happened on Malastare awoken one of these things, sort of like. What's the thing in Lord of the Rings, the Balrog, or yeah, where he dug too deep and released it, sort of thing. Um, it's sort of that that plot. And so in those episodes, the Zilla Beast dies. Um, so this Zilla Beast, they didn't have a second one. This one is a clone. Yeah. So they they successfully cloned it. Yeah. At the very end, Palpatine tells the scientist to clone it. Or well, he hands her orders, and then she's like, "You want me to clone it?" And he just kind of rides off with a kind of a um, malevolent look. Yeah, and they're successful. Like mm-hmm. this is 
like they do it and and this is the outcome of all of that work is this thing is is ex- exists in their universe now um and so whatever whatever cloning technology they're trying to adapt to these purposes they were successful in this in this instance mm-hmm. and so this is just more evidence to me that they're setting up this advanced cloning directive to clone for sensitive means a la Starkiller um, to to save Palpatine to give Palpatine an, an additional contingency plan mm-hmm. yeah and it really goes to show that like if you really think about it like this this um this happened in season two, I mean, near the end, but it's like, he was pretty much in like, like in episode three, he says he is the Senate. It's like, he wasn't lying. He's like, got so much shady shit going on. And like, he's unchecked. The only thing that like, he just has to keep things going for a while, but until he can, the Jedi are weak enough that they can be like eliminated. But like, he's pretty much in total control doing all sorts of, shady shit behind the scenes like um because like we find out like all the things like he's 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 had set up like in in um in the comic darth vader dark lord of the sith he vader finds the inquisitors already all set up that they've already been training as a group for a while with the the grand inquisitor being uh, the the one in charge this is like how how much stuff was he just doing on his own and nobody Nobody checked it, like nor nobody bothered to, or nobody, nobody was willing to, or nobody was able to, and that he's like the supreme chancellor, and that he could just get away and do all sorts of shady shit, like go go randomly meet Dooku or go at, um go to um go to Mandalore and kill uh, Savage Press and capture Maul. Exactly. And yeah, I, I'm I'm fascinated by every single time we, we pull back the layer on Palpatine and see more of his plans. Um, it just makes me want to know more about Palpatine. Right. Yeah. Because I wonder, like, how much was this all his doing? How much did he kind of inherit from Darth Plagueis? Like, I mean, I have to think that a lot of a lot of it is just him, you know, his scheming. But he's also probably got to have this, like humongous network set up that the, the Sith have been like kind of like. They're just kind of like, I want to say like they're just underworld gangsters that like have been setting things up for a long period of time to things are just right. Or maybe each one thought that they were going to be the one to do it, but he's he's he, he's the one who is finally able to do it. I don't know. Maybe his success is because he he had plans upon plans upon plans, right? So there was stuff in the Plagueis novel where, where Plagueis had basically banked on on the plan being that they're going to basically install a chancellor. It's like, we'll get a chancellor installed and everything will be fine. Right. Cause then we can control everything and then manipulate the, the manipulate it into a war and then have order 66. You know, like we've talked to, we've talked previously about what would have, would have, if it would have mattered to him who won the war. And now, now that we're getting more depth on him, I bet he had a contingency plan for either. Yeah. Oh, I guarantee. Like he was, he's always he's always ahead. He's just got like plans upon plans upon plans that uh, he he left like nothing to chance. Because like, because even if and then and even if something unexpected happened, he could very easily make it seem like that was the plan all along. Right. Or he can easily adapt and overcome. So here's an interesting quote I found um, from Dave Filoni. On an interview he gave on StarWars.com, he said that a comeback of the Zillow Beast was impossible because its scale was too challenging for the production, and they had no reason why the Galactic Empire would clone it. He suggested that the possibility of introducing a baby specimen rather than a, mechan- uh, a full-grown one, and then they scrapped that idea for the final season of Clone Wars. And so he said that it wasn't coming back because it was basically too hard to render hard to animate and that it would have been too big of a task for the empire to do it then maybe they can bring back a baby one but then they didn't do it so Mm -hmm. it's fun it's fun that they they have this book of ideas they can keep going back to i'll say that this this episode was generally well received by everybody i think people are excited for this tie back to clone wars and they're 
showing the Zilla Beast in an earlier stage and showing that this cloning was actually successful. I think people are generally happy with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, just overall, great, uh, great episode, and it just makes you, I don't know, just, um, and it's a good standalone episode, but it also ties kind of into the main story, which is perfect. Yeah, so I've been doing I've been doing a lot of writing exercises with the oldest boy, my older boy, and he's been he's been doing like D and D stuff and and trying to get into writing more. I told him that there, if you're writing like science fiction or horror, that there's like categories of sort of terrors, like villains or whatever you want to call them, like antagonists, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like Humans, superhumans, um, swarms, um, aliens, and then kaiju. And there's, I think there's seven or eight categories of like science fiction and fantasy antagonists. And I, they're pretty self-explanatory. I love it when Star Wars plays with this sort of stuff. We get a lot of swarm stuff. We get waves after waves of stormtroopers, waves after waves of battle droids. We get like like superhuman stuff with like the Jedi and the Sith that sort of thing. We get just evil humans like Hemlock. But I love I love being able to touch Kaiju as well and have it be the foil for an episode. And I, I know there's a lot of... There's some criticism out there of Mandalorians on the show Mandalorian butchering Megafauna every single episode. Um, because it, seem, it seems pointless. It seems like, like they live on that desert planet where their children get eaten by pterodactyls all the time. Maybe they should move mm-hmm. rather than hunt the pterodactyls. But this is, this is a situation where the kaiju is completely organic. Like it's on a ship. Our heroes stumble upon it, react in a really natural way and generate this huge problem. And that problem is ironically resolved by the empire. Um, but I, I love I love the idea of not just dealing with of dealing with all of these categories of villains or or dangers, right? And bringing in a kaiju is wonderful. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is the rounding up of the citizenry. Um, what do you think happens to these people? Yeah, I think um, it's safe to say that they are taken to Mount Tanzas and experimented on, or just jailed because they're just they're nobodies. They don't matter to to the the empire they can just say anything happened industrial accident right they're just they're just fodder for Mm -hmm. for hemlock's experiments right yeah i think that's probably pretty close there's these legend books um rogue squadron legends books that i've been reading and and they basically engineer a virus that infects non-human species and i can see them sort of pushing into this plot a little bit saying like, like, yeah, this guy is a monster and this is what his plans are. Quote unquote plans. Doesn't even have to be planning, right? He just has substrates for his experimentation. I don't know. I I really hope we get more. So we're, we're at the advantage of knowing how the season ends. So I hope we get more hemlock and more things in the future explaining sort of his, his more of his backstory and what's happening at Mount Tantus. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other comments on this episode? I don't. Do you want to move on to the rating? Yeah, yeah, let's. Okay. All right, so now is the time where we would, uh, uh, where we rank an episode. Now, how we rank episodes are, we rank them by character. So a really great episode would be a Han, Luke, Leia, Darth Vader, Chewie, etc. A really bad episode would be... Um, Those turtle aliens that work the reactor... On the space station in Resistance. Yes, those. So, <laughs> so what do you uh, what do you give this episode? Um, I really like this episode, and I watched the other episode, so I'm going to give it to Mace Windu. And it's because um, when the Dugs on Malastar were going to kill the Zilla Beast, the only person that basically told them to knock it off was Mace Windu. And without Mace, we wouldn't have this wonderful episode. And I think it's that important. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with the um, uh, Gene Ocean Queen because it just this 
reminds me of just the episode of Clone Wars where they have the worm. Um, Cause that's the only ever like kind of like horror kind of one that they've done in the past. Good call. I like that episode. Yeah, so that's, that's what I give it. Um, all right, so I guess that's... Oh, did you just turn the camera on briefly? Yeah, I turned my camera on so you could see my queen. Oh, cool. <laughs> I mean, it's very much like the um, Xenomorph with the big, the big egg sack. But um, I don't know. All right, so um, we'll be back uh, next week with the next episode of... Um, Bad Batch, uh, Season 2, Episode 12. Uh, What's the name of that episode? Outpost. Outpost, okay. All right, so um, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Um, We don't put a whole lot of money into this, so if you could tell a friend or, um, you know, like mention uh, mention, uh, us on your social medias. Or if you think we suck, go ahead and tell Tell somebody you don't like or other people on your social medias that we're really great. You just want to play a good joke on them. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochbaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Da 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 da